0: Welcome to IB Voices. I'm your host, Steve Wishart, IB World Schools Manager for Australasia. In this Asia Pacific series, Educators Staying Connected, we've brought together leaders from across the Asia Pacific region to discuss the vital role that program networks, associations, principal and school groups play in maintaining connection, sharing practice and promoting collective growth. Today, Tanya Mansfield, Karen Abraham, Paul Weinert, and Manita Sen form our discussion panel. Tanya Mansfield's a PYP coordinator at International School, Ho Chi Minh City. She is a highly experienced and valued IBEN member, an influential educator across the Asia Pacific region. Our next panelist is Karen Abraham. She's the deputy principal at Cleveland District High School. She's an executive member of IB Schools Australasia and an active advocate for IB programs within Australia. Paul Wynett is the principal at Concordia College in Adelaide and the current chair of the South Australian IB Principals Association. And finally, Manita Sen is the global authorisation manager for PYP. Given the current situation many areas across the Asia-Pacific region find themselves in, connection to professional networks is more important than ever. Each of our guests operate within vastly different contexts and access connections with educators in different ways. We hope this discussion highlights opportunities and ways of thinking that may enhance your network and improve professional connections. I might start with Tanya, if I may. You've got an interesting network. Can you tell us about how your network spans across several countries?
1: Yes, our network spans Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. And last year, I think maybe between 18 months, 12 months ago, we also invited Thailand. So we have four countries within our network. And of course, that's made up of candidate schools, authorized schools, and those that are well experienced going to the second or third evaluation.
0: So how do you stay connected? I can see many of our networks find it difficult staying connected when they're active within their own state, but you are spanning several countries. How do you stay connected with each other with such distance?
1: Number one, being part of the Asia-Pacific area, it's very dynamic and we are all learners at heart and so all actually innately desperate for that connection. So that came through. Lao only has one IB school, so, and they're our neighbors, but it's not as easy to get to or from as it may seem. So I think it comes down to the willingness of the coordinators. When I came to Vietnam three years ago, and I'd been in China before that, our Shanghai network there, we were really quite strong and really made the effort to visit each other. So when I arrived here, I connected with the other coordinators here within Ho Chi Minh City, And we set up a plan that we would co-host the three schools to invite the others to join us and actually form a mission statement, a vision statement and put some procedures and protocols and structures in place that would help us as a network sustain our vision, no matter what came in, because obviously we're very transient as well. So Mm. someone coming and taking my place and we could work together there. So some of the platforms that we use was obviously Communities, what is now Communities IB. That's our main go-to and our mm-hmm. official thing. But then unofficially, we set up for ourselves a Google site where we could start sharing resources and connections. If we were hosting PDs or had guests coming in, then we could do that. And Within that was a Google calendar as well to see how our school years lined up and especially our UIP yeah. exhibitions and things there. And then informally, more informally, there's WhatsApp groups floating around, informal and small and big ones. We use the Asia Pacific PYP chat Twitter hashtag, which also connects us. And of course, there's a number of Facebook groups that are out there as well. So there's formal and informal platforms set up for us to connect.
0: Oh, fantastic. So there's a number of channels that your PYP coordinators can access as part of your group. What initiatives has your network undertaken to? further build those connections
1: so from that first time that I've just spoken about we committed that we would meet face-to-face at least once a year and have our schools commit to that so following that first time meeting here in Vietnam then the next year we all met in Thailand and what we try and do is back that onto a PD opportunity I recall the last one that we could do before pre-COVID and all borders <laughs> closed, was Anne Van Dam was visiting NIST. So we piggybacked onto that, took advantage of her wonderful experience, and then managed to have a network meeting. But I think the biggest thing that's happened this year, again, comes down with the transient nature of international schools, especially in Syria, is this year we introduced having three co-chairs. So there's actually three of us. So there's myself here in Vietnam, Mel Taylor, who's at Magic Gears in Bangkok, and Carly Stafford, who's at AISVN. So the three of us connect and communicate. And I think we all bring something a little bit different. We're all very experienced coordinators. Carly's school, for example, have just gone through verification. So she could support the candidate schools from that experience. And in fact, just went through the virtual verification whereas Mel's school were in the middle of their self-study and so we're having to rethink that so and then my school were quite stable and established but looking at different ways we can bring in agency and the changes to enhancement so we all bring in a just a slightly different edge to support our
0: communities and our schools in our region. Do you use any remote processes to support each other?
1: Not as yet. In our region, basically, we went to remote teaching at the end of January. So it was very fast and we were very quick to close campuses here, but remote learning, as Carly and Mel and I were chatting, we were very cognizant of the fact that educators were exhausted, that coordinators were exhausted, not adding to that screen time that they were already having to live and breathe through. And then also us not assuming that we knew what people wanted support with. Mm. So what we did is we had a quick chat and put out on the IB communities, just a reassurance that we're still here. We're open for any connections that you might want help and put out a Google form to say, number one, what expertise can you offer? Or would you be able to offer to the network? What is your school looking for support through? And then also you as a coordinator, what support are you looking for? Um, we're still collecting that data and we've had a chat. We restart our academic year come August to resend that out with the new coordinators and to maybe you know, just inject a little bit more energy there as people are starting. We are in this region going back to school, campus opening. So everyone's in that position, which is wonderful with obviously health and safety restrictions in place. However, Mm -hmm. all of us have both staff and students still overseas. So I think we're all going back into some sort of hybrid connection. But I say informally, you know, people reach out and say, hey, how have you handled Zoom as an issue in some of the areas? How have you handled supporting parents? What platforms have you used? Like, It is a very big sharing community and people are very willing to give. Also being very careful to say, this is not the way. This is just yeah. a way that our community have found our way through. And obviously we're dealing with schools with different priorities, different places in the journey, different resources they're available to. Mel's school, for example, very early years and lower primary based at the moment. So theirs would look different from our upper primary and things like that. So just, I guess, listening and seeing where we can support and connect as needed.
0: Fantastic, well, thanks for your insight there. Karen, if I could go to you being involved with the Queensland network and also with the principals in Queensland. So I'll start by asking, how does the Queensland DP network work?
2: Thanks, Steve. The Queensland DP network, we're actually a really tight-knit team. We have a volunteer chair, so a lovely individual, her name's Laura at the moment, who takes on that role to organise us through our meeting schedules. We will rotate through our schools. So, Queensland geographically is quite spread out, obviously, but the cluster of most of us are in the southeast corner. So, for the most part, we meet at schools but our friends in far north queensland will try and get them remote access into our meetings so the chair will set the agenda takes the minutes distributes and works out any other activities we've got going throughout the year and we then communicate via email or communities and we organise ourselves that way i think and that's really the role mm. here and, and it's been quite a stable group and the time that i've been with them over 6 years there's only been two chairs
0: so what initiatives does the group have to support each other
2: in the last two years actually I think we've really stepped that up we've really worked on getting our teachers different groups together to provide networking opportunities so for example at the start of this year we partnered with griffith university working really quite strongly with the ib schools in queensland and At the very start, before everything fell apart on us, we got all of the teachers that could make an afternoon session at Griffith University from all the six groups together and we just facilitated that opportunity for them to get together, network, share ideas, share resources, share their contacts and Griffith had a little bit of input there as well talking about some initiatives they've got happening for IB schools in Queensland. So that worked really well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you raised that because that was one of the reasons why... I wanted you on because your network is so connected with the local universities, which is a great initiative.
2: Yeah, look, I think there's a powerful opportunity there for IB groups, more power in a group than there is in individual schools, Mm. to get together and approach your local universities if you've got issues and and, you know we'll probably talk about that throughout this podcast some of the things that we've done but they need to know that our students our graduates our IB graduates are quality and they're the ones that they want and I think particularly Mm. this year being a very changing year in terms of um, students will be attracted to certainly Queensland universities it's been a good time for us to say come on let's work together and see what we can do for our graduates we've got 14 DP schools in Queensland and talking about that context that's quite unique, nine of those are state schools and five of them are independent. So that again gives us a little bit of a different flavour. We certainly have a very stable group of educators. We don't have that kind of movement that maybe the international schools have with their staff and in some ways that helps us to come together and really gel as, as Team Queensland, I think. So partnerships with universities, providing opportunities for staff to network and get together and share resources have been the main ones. And then just providing that support to each other as coordinators. So there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, put mm. it out there and we'll work it out for each other.
0: Yeah, the, the Queensland network is very obviously very collegial. Mm. And I love that connection that you have with the universities and the proactive stance that you take in approaching the universities as a cluster of schools and speak on behalf of that cluster of IB schools. How do IB principals and vice principals work with each other in Queensland?
2: I mentioned the diversity of school contexts and settings in Queensland, and that in itself can be a positive and a challenge for us. If you're in a, an IB only school, as some of our academies are, and they are state schools, they have one pathway for their students. That's IB. Other schools like mine, we've got over 2,000 students, and only a small portion will be doing the IB. We'll have others are on an ATAR pathway or a vocational pathway, and and everything in between. And you'll have the independent schools with principals overseeing often P to 12, and you know, boards to answer to and whatever. So it's very difficult for our principals to get some clear air sometimes to get together. So being a deputy principal on the coordinators network, I think has positioned me to be the conduit between the two. Mm. So when an issue comes up that we feel coordinators need the backup of the principals to, you know, get behind them, then I'll tend to organise the meetings. And I guess an example of that is, well, this year is the first year for Queensland to have the ATAR. We're changing from an old system to a new for senior certification. And it, again, a challenge and an opportunity. The challenge was around the things that maybe other states in Queensland have already faced. And that's the conversion of an IB score to an ATAR. Yeah. And there were some intricacies in the Queensland model that maybe the others didn't face. But we felt this was something that needed to be attacked from principal level to give it a bit of extra weight. So we, myself and the coordinator of our network got together and got the principals together. We met with the deputy director general, the chair of QTAC and universities to say, here's our issue, here's our solutions, how can we work with you? And We've got a bit of momentum going there. COVID set us back a little bit, but we're quite determined. So we'll pick up that and run with it. But we have had some wins
0: Mm.
2: with some safety nets that some universities have offered and different concessions. So...
0: So you mentioned there that one of the key points, I think, that you raised there was that connection between the principal group and the diploma coordinators group, which is really driving the success that you're having up there in Queensland.
2: Right. So I think, you know, the coordinators network will look at those very operational matters. They might take on a few strategic projects, but when something becomes, you know, very strategic needs, that high level support and input, then you have to be able to have an open communication line to a principal group. And whether that's through the coordinator of the network or someone like myself who is there and can kind of work between the two groups. But it's important that you've got that cooperation when it's needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Talking about principal groups, we'll move to Paul now. Paul being the chair of the South Australian IB Principals Association. Paul, can you tell me about the role of the IB Principals Association in South Australia? Who's involved and what do you do as a group?
3: Sure, Steve. So we have eleven schools involved. So South Australia is actually a very strong IB enclave, and it has been, you know, one of the first, I guess, areas to take up the IB in Australia, mm. and uh, that was sort of really sanctioned by the government going back. So over that time, a lot of the independent schools in Adelaide have taken up the IB. A lot of them are three program. So we meet once a term for a working lunch actually it has a formal agenda so there's um i guess an informality about and a collegiality about it connecting and having a shared understanding of issues as they get presented to the IB. but that's one of those things and networking more broadly i think that that's whole that australia-wide session that was held i think a couple of years ago steve in at pembroke that got driven out of our network so it's really looking to connect more broadly. So it picks up on these sort of issues around lobby and also around connection with universities and other organisations such as the South Australian Certificate of Education, which we've got our current connection with and looking who accept an IB subject, which is rare for some of the government certificates. That's a really unique aspect mm, yeah. of
0: South Australia, a real advantage that South Australia have over other states.
3: Yeah, so they do recognise at least one of the DP subjects in the SACE certificate and give credit for that. And that is a really unique move. So you can have this sort of blended approach in year 11 and 12. So we're looking to how we can expand on that within that. But there's been an openness, and I guess that's really one of the great things about having this connection with SACE and more broadly with the education department around these sorts of things. I think we're always looking to expand those connections. It's great to hear about that move in Queensland. I think that's something that we would really like to have more connection directly with universities more broadly and I think with other networks. And that's something that I think that we would love to see how we have these sort of formal connections in and around the state networks and mm. how we get a shared voice to the IB. So I think these are some of the areas that we focus on, Steve. Thanks for that. And how do you connect with your DP coordinators as a group? I know
0: the Queensland group were highlighting how they make very real connections. How do you connect with your DP coordinators as a group of principals?
3: Mainly through connecting with the facilitator and then looking at shared items that we can bring forward onto the IB Heads meeting, and then that's sort of the liaison point. But before any meeting, I would ring the uh, local facilitator also, I'd connect with Cole Stevenson before meetings. Obviously, I would connect with you before a meeting and try and collate this information and bring it to yep. the heads uh, so you give by way of update. So that's sort of the connecting point in that way.
0: And that's an interesting point that we'll talk about in one of the coming episodes of this podcast, connecting with the heads council, mm. who have mm. that connection in with the IB. I'll move on to Manita. Manita, you've got a unique view of networks across the Asia Pacific region. In your experience, what factors contribute to a strong network?
4: Well, I think many of the valuable points have been discussed from the group. And I think one of the key things is people. It's about people, the networks rely on people who are volunteering their time. Coordinators are extremely busy people. So doing this on top of their everyday jobs is really something that's appreciated, I know, by schools and coordinators. So having those people who are willing to give their time is very essential. Also, all of you have spoken about structures. So each network has a different profile. And I think that's really important, understanding the profile of your network and developing a structure that really supports that. Some networks are really large. So one person would find it very difficult to handle that, so having people who have different roles and responsibilities within the network has proved to be something that I think is really useful and clear communication, so as Tanya mentioned, a number of platforms, so the IB does provide a platform, but schools use what platforms are you know most useful to them for communicating, so I think having those clear communications and clear expectations. Developing your even like an essential agreement or a common mission or vision statement as to what the network is about really helps everyone be clear about what to expect as well.
0: Circumstances change and making sure that that vision and mission of the network or of the group that you're involved in is relevant.
4: Absolutely. I mean, we have networks that change pretty much uh, overnight. In some cases, like for example, 20 new schools join a network. So, you know, from having a network of schools that were perhaps more experienced, then suddenly you've got candidate schools who are new to the program, and they have a lot of needs and a lot of questions. So really differentiating the support. And as you said, Mm. networks are dynamic. So continuously revisiting what are the needs of our network and how best can we support that so that everybody gets what they need. Otherwise, you can find that you're just constantly perhaps giving. Some schools might feel that they've been in the program a long time. They've got great examples of what they do. And so newer schools really are just lapping that up. But those schools also need to be inspired and fulfilled. So really thinking about the needs of all school members in those groups is
0: important. So in your current role, how do you communicate with networks and what prompts you to communicate with a network also?
4: Yeah, well, our networks are very well established. In early days, we really, I think, from the regional office, supported very heavily. And you would know that because Steve, you and I were quite influential in developing network structures and some resources. And we did encourage networks to look at a framework where we spoke about looking at elements of informing, supporting, extending and inspiring within their schools. And also looking at the evolution of a network, if you like, from emerging to dynamic. So we did create some of those resources which we shared with schools and some essential agreements. So the IB doesn't manage these networks. We only support them. They're very much managed by schools. So it's up to you how you want to structure things. But some of the ways that we support. So in my role as authorization manager, for example, I introduce all the new schools to the network chair as they become candidate schools, just really connecting them. And I love what Tanya spoke about in their network. They have somebody whose role it is really to focus on these new schools and support them because they do need that extra little handholding. Some networks do induction type of PD programs, obviously not replacing IB professional development, but really enhancing and supporting it and making great use of the diversity there. Other things I do is I Skype in to networks and I know other managers like yourself as well, cross IBWS and authorization do this. To do Q and A sessions, I've spoken particularly about program enhancements. People have had a lot of questions, and sometimes connecting people across networks, as Mm. Paul mentioned, that's something that I think networks really value. And one of the advantages of being in the, the regional office is that you have an overview of things, so you can say, "Oh, Network A has a need, and Network B have some expertise, and you connect people." So I think those are some of the things, some of the ways that I've supported
0: different networks. So in your experience, what are some initiatives that you've seen that networks engage that are really successful? Some really interesting initiatives that all networks might pick and choose and say, hey, I could do that. And that would have an impact on our network.
4: Yeah, so pretty much all networks organise events. And depending on their size, this can just be a small informal event. But some have larger events where they actually invite sponsors So I've attended a couple exactly here in Singapore. It's called the PYP Connect, for example, and they have sponsors, educational groups, if you like, who offer resources and they might pay for the tea. So there are many creative things that different networks are doing to support. They have in speakers. Sometimes they pull in budgets for professional development, bringing in experts like Tanya mentioned as well. So these are some exciting things. E-conferences. So yesterday I spoke to the Bangladesh and Pakistan network, which is similar to the one that Tanya has. So it spans two, two countries and they're looking at obviously they can't meet face to face right now. So they're looking at how can they have a conference that's online? So educators sharing good practice, teach meets these kind of various sharing platforms that are things that I've seen across open houses. So when visiting schools is something that you can do, and I guess now we might look at how to do virtual tours (laughs) or virtual open houses where this is, I think particularly interesting for teachers because one of the questions is always like, yes, but what does this look like? Mm. So having a window into somebody else's school can be really, really inspiring. Just looking at a different way of doing things There's also a social element, and I think that's quite important, knowing that you're not alone. Many forming or emerging networks do have a concern sometimes about, oh, if we send all our teachers to an event, maybe they'll want to go to other schools or they'll be poached by other schools. So some networks do have these events and they really address this rather than ignoring it. So they build it into their essential agreements. What do we do if a teacher from school A wants to apply in school B mid-session? How are we going to handle that and keep things transparent and collegial? So I think that's a good practice if that's a concern. The inductions, like I said, for new members, just every school who has people who are new teachers who are new to the program, they sometimes combine to do a group induction, maybe sometimes even events for parents so that parents can see the community of PYP schools particularly around exhibitions in the PYP as well. And the exhibition is also a very popular way of sharing. Schools openly invite each other and the students to come and observe different exhibitions. So that's very inspiring for the children as well. So yeah, these are just some of the events and support systems that networks across the region have implemented and very successfully.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Manita. One final question given that you're the authorization manager and you're managing schools that are coming into these networks, what advice do you give to your schools regarding networks?
4: Oh, well, they are an amazing resource, and I've had feedback from lots of our new schools. Sometimes they even hear about the networks before they become candidate schools because they're such you know, strong professional learning groups. So they're often very excited to be part of those. And it really just gives, I think, when you start the program and when you just come into it, there's a lot of theory. So you've read the guides, you've been to the workshop, but actually speaking to people who've had that experience and who've been where you are is very, very reassuring for our new schools. So the networks are invaluable at supporting candidate schools and I can't thank them enough.
0: What are some final tips that you would give to networks to support their success? Manita, can I start with you?
4: I think the structure is one of the most important things. So what I like to call managing expectations and being realistic about this. So I've been in meetings that are really like network startup meetings, where really we're just trying to model, okay, this is how it can work. And coordinators have amazing ideas of all the things that they want Mm -hmm. to do in one year. But being really practical about this, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to meet four times a year. But I think really having those strong code of conduct and your essential agreement, and I love the idea of a mission statement. I mean, we've had networks that created their own logo and their own vision and mission statement, that they really have that strong identity as well. So I think that's really important, just like in a classroom, having that profile so that you can, you know, personalize to the needs
0: of the different groups. Karen, have you got any final tips?
2: I guess what I've learned over the last few years, Steve, is that there is strength in numbers. And if you've got an issue, that issue is possibly shared. And certainly there seems to be more power in a group getting together mm. than an individual. So, you know, to encourage, and, I, and this is something you've inspired me, I think, this afternoon, to really try and make those connections within other states, other areas,
1: mm.
2: but certainly where you share... Some concerns or challenges, or find opportunities, get together as a group, that's where the power is.
3: Absolutely. Paul? Yeah, I think you need to do a lot of the legwork on the side. So I know as a facilitator and, and being sidetracked with COVID 19, obviously, and our focus is going to that, but all things being equal, you know, it would certainly make some calls on the side and emails informally to build the relationships. Just mm. to expect to roll up to meetings and build that connection, that's not going to do it. It's mm. the informal relationship building on the side that's really going to make the group work. So I think there's a lot of legwork to be done in the background. That's what I have come to know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good
3: points. And Tanya?
1: So through this podcast, I have been making lots and lots of notes here and we will now pretty much almost schedule a meeting with Mel and Carly. I think that's actually really supported our network is having more than just one of us. You know, this would be quite yeah. overwhelming. As many said, in our current role, in our current school, in our current situation, having two or three of us to support the schools in their different things has been fantastic and making sure that the expertise is available to people when and as they need it. But I was thinking as I'm going through here is yeah we have a lot in place in our network at the moment but actually do our member schools are they aware of it so this is a really good time for us to take a big breath and maybe start the year right and make it really clear so we can move forward and support the schools where we are
0: thank you all so much for sharing your insights and context regarding the various forms of networks within the asia pacific region Thanks for listening. Please stay tuned for further episodes relating to networks and subscribe to IB Voices so that you can access all the episodes available.